Welcome to AI Podcast, your podcast for real estate resources and independent living strategies for the disability community. Today, in this episode, we will be talking about the uniqueness of disability finances, how to save up for a home, and more closely looking at the fabulous Sense and Sensibility Manual created by the Pennsylvania Assistive Technology Foundation. But please make sure you stay to the very end for additional resources and potential giveaways. Hi, I'm Angela Fox, your host for AI Podcast, blogger, author, and entrepreneur for the disabled home buyer. Why? Because accessibility is home. In a previous episode, I had discussed the dark side of seeking employment while being disabled, meaning that any salary above low income would disqualify you from many social programs you may rely on. I then made a daring idea of postponing higher salary employment until you have taken advantage of all programs you can. It might have seemed like a crazy idea, but the fact is that finances are just different if you are disabled. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can read the Sense and Sensibility by the Pennsylvania Assistive Technology Foundation, PATF. The Sense and Sensibility is a wonderful 84-page resource book that provides financial guidance for the disability community, including how to save for a home and what savings you might need to have in order to live independently. I highly encourage everyone to read it, but today I am going to talk about the highlights for you and add some other tips I learned as a disabled working woman and a disabled homeowner. Please note that I am not speaking on behalf of PATF. It is my interpretation, nor will I be giving any legal advice here today. So while there are many jobs out there that may pay you in cash, you should still put that cash into a bank account. I know when money is tight, having taxes removed out of your paycheck up front may seem too expensive. Besides the risk of getting your money stolen, which is a problem because you literally have the cash laying around, you could actually be losing money. One extreme case actually happened during the COVID crisis. Many who did not file taxes, and you always should, or could not prove annually what they make, could not receive the stimulus checks the federal government gave out or any other unemployment benefit. Now, let's hope that this extreme example is just a -a once-in-a-lifetime event. On a more practical note, having a bank account can save you money and even make you money. To get the most, you should try to get membership into a credit union. They have lower fees in general and higher interest rates on savings accounts. Also, some credit unions provide life insurance policies and other benefits just for being a member. You should also ask if the credit union participates in your state's ABLE Act account program. I will talk more about ABLE Act accounts later on. For a nice table that breaks down the options between credit unions and regular banks, see the Sense and Sensibility Manual on page 36. Credit unions are usually tied to the work you do, like being a veteran, a police officer, federal or state employee, or even a teacher. 
A credit union also sometimes allows you to join them simply because you work within that particular county. If you don't meet the basic qualifications on your own, see if you have a family member who is a member of the credit union because credit unions love families. A more riskier approach is to get into a credit union is by obtaining a loan from them, like a uh, car loan. Many credit unions allow people to get a loan from the credit union, even if they aren't a member. By doing that, you automatically have to open up a bank account. I would only advise you to do this if you know you need a loan anyways. Do not, do not go into debt just to be a member. Whatever bank you choose, you need to open a checking and a savings account. Having automatic debit set up for all your bills will ensure that your credit score is not affected by paying your bills late. Now, until I had a sizable amount of extra money in my checking account, I only placed auto debit on bills that I knew the amount would not change. For example, my internet bill was always the same amount, but I also mainly paid for a gas bill because I used different amount of gas each month. So you might want to consider that as well. Outside of how much cash you have on hand, your FICO score is the second most important thing when it comes to buying a home because it will determine how much loan you get and what interest rate it will be. In a previous episode of mine, I talked about how the that in 2020, the formula for the FICO score was going to change. So you can listen to that episode. For a good explanation of what credit score is all about, the census sensibility on page 48 gives a really good explanation. Your savings account should be dedicated to the cost of buying and modifying your home. It may be tempted to either not have a savings account at all or only having a savings account for your retirement. When I was listening to PATF webinar where they were introducing the Sense and Sensibility manual, they talked about the modern financial wisdom out there that says that you should always pay yourself, meaning that you should be dogmatic as to putting money into your retirement fund, even if that means you might pay a bill late or two. The webinar speaker said that while this isn't bad advice, for someone who is a, like a disabled renter, paying your rent is really important. Disabled homelessness is a huge problem. And I would agree. I would agree because finding money for rent is only half the battle. Finding accessible apartment that meets your disability needs is equally challenging. So you don't want to be kicked out of that apartment if it meets your disability needs simply because you are putting more money into your retirement. I also carry that same wisdom and say that buying a home for the disability community can be more important than retirement. Since the 2008 housing market crash, new laws make it difficult for banks to quickly foreclose on a home, providing you with more protection than renting. So try your best to have a savings account simply for your home, but not just any savings account. If you qualify, you should try to get yourself an ABLE Act account. I have talked quite a bit about ABLE Act throughout my podcast episodes. It is so helpful in savings if you are on Social Security Disability or if you become disabled before your 27th birthday. The ABLE Act account, a federal law, allows you to save money you received up to $15,000 each year and roll that money over from year to year until that savings account has $100,000 in it. 
The best part is you can do this without losing your Social Security benefits, and the money is tax deferred. The money can be used for anything related to your disability, whether it's medical or not. And that's a really big distinction compared to other like health savings accounts that has to be medical. The money, the money that can be used for anything related to your disability, such as purchasing a new home, modifying it, and even paying your mortgage. But please don't forget to count the money that you use that year as income. But until then, it's like the money doesn't exist. On my blog article, I will provide the national organization devoted to able act accounts for for more details, including which states allow you to also invest in stock market through this able act account. Last, an able account may not be the only type of savings account that you might be interested. You might be interested in having a disability trust. The fundamental differences between the able act account and a disability trust is that a disability trust usually has someone other than the disabled person in charge of the account. Historically, it's used only for individuals who cannot take care of themselves, and money is put into the trust by parents to be there when they are gone. The Census Sensibility Manual has a great chart that describes and gives an explanation of the differences in more detail between the ABLE account and Disability Trust Fund. It's on page 30. Now, the Census Sensibility talks a lot about not wasting money on things that you may want but not need. And that makes sense. It makes sense considering that too often we in society use these two, two words interchangeably, wants and needs, but they are very different. I really encourage you to go through the manual as an exercise because it does make you take inventory on what you are spending on things that you may want versus what you need. One of the needs of life is education, at least for good employment. And it's likely that you took out loans to pay for the education. If you have not and you are considering continuing your education or going back to school, pay attention to President Biden's infrastructure plan. At the time of making this podcast, President Biden is proposing free community college. So if you could go to, to community college and get it for free, talk about savings, right? So be mindful of that. If you have already gone to school and you have loans like me, you want to get rid of them as quickly as possible. Until you can, you should look at your interest rates and see if you would save by refinancing them. If you do, please be mindful that you are essentially starting over the clock. Meaning, if you have, let's say, 20 years to pay the loans and you have only paid 10 years worth, it is likely that your refinancing will allow you another additional 20 years to pay them. It may sound like a sweetheart of a deal, but if you take the full 20 years, you will likely end up paying more on interest rate than if you had just stayed with the higher interest rate and only and paid it off in 10 years. So just try to uh, make it a goal that you're going to pay these loans off sooner rather than later. And I always add, even if it's an additional $30 to the payment to help that along. An even simpler way of saving is one of my favorite apps though, called Acorn, like the acorn on a tree, A-C-A-R-N. And now a quick break from our sponsor. So as you can see and also hearing me, I am sitting on my back deck and I have my grill. I love being out in my back deck. I hate when I forget something and I have to wheel back into the house. 
particularly my cell phone. However, I'm excited to announce that another disabled-owned business, Cush Pocket, has come up with a solution by creating this fabulous wheelchair bag. I love this bag and have been a proud customer since almost the very beginning. Why do I like it? One, it's huge. Two, it comes in multiple colors. But three, you can put it anywhere on the base of your wheelchair. How does that happen? It's attached to the flap and it has little, little Velcro. You put it directly underneath your cushion of your wheelchair. And the Velcro and the weight of your body ensures that this fabulous cush pocket bag it certainly will not move. I personally have two directly in front of me and it hides behind my legs and I love that because it's so much more convenient. Trust me, you will never forget anything ever again. So as you can see down below, I have a direct link for Push Pocket. And if you use my code Angela Fox, you will get $1 off. And not only will you get a fabulous bag, but you'll also support two disabled-owned businesses, Cush Pocket and my business, Horizontal Houses. Check it out. Um, it's an app, and every time you buy something through your debit card, it rounds up to the nearest dollar and places this extra change into an account that invests in the stock market. You can also set up it that every month an additional, let's say, a monetary amount of $5 or $20 is also invested into the stock market in addition to that ch extra change when you are buying things throughout that month. Um, and this basically replaces that famous uh, family jar that you might have where you would always jump, uh, dump your extra change into that jar and at the end of the year, you would go to the bank and you would, you know, convert that change into dollar bills and that amount of money would be, let's say, your family vacation uh, fund, right? It's, it's just something as simple as that. A mindful, it takes you time to build up, right? Just like you're putting that change into the jar, the same thing with the Acorn app. Uh, to give you some perspective, I've been doing it for the last uh, 10 years, and I have about $3,000. So not a lot, you know, of money, but $3,000 just from rounding up over 10 years, it's, it's a way for you to save as well. And you don't even really notice it, and that's, that's the real beauty of it. Now, getting the home, so you're, you're saving up, right? At the time of this podcast, we are slowly as a nation coming out of the COVID and people returning to work because of vaccines. Excellent. But the federal government and many other companies are still allowing their employees to work from home. Those employers are asking for their employees to come back into work are finding it difficult to find workers because many have realized that for the right job, you can balance work and family. They are now calling it the Great Resignation. This has led to a big migration also of people moving, whether you resigned or you can do remote work. This has led into a big migration of people moving into more rural homes and leaving their city condos behind because they no longer need to have a short commute. Now, this is an opportunity for the disability community to buy homes in metropolitan areas at reduced price. Being in a metropolitan city has always been a good location for the disability community because of several things, because of public transportation, 
um, that is available and having the conveniences of what is coined uh, a walkable location. You know, having those restaurants nearby, having things be able to be delivered, right? Because everything was, uh, is just within a couple blocks. And this is a big deal for a lot of people with disabilities because many cannot drive. And so having the ability of public transportation and having things delivered or be able to, you know, walk a, a few blocks and go to restaurants rely, without relying on taxis or someone else to drive you, it's a really big deal. Of course, all of this only matters if you believe your work is still going to be in the city once we have come overcome the COVID pandemic. Also, you know, as an employer, you know, your health is de- your healthcare is dependent on your employer. Your work may always be f- from your home, and if that's the case, you can move anywhere. You might have heard that your child's education is dependent on his or her zip code. Well, as I just said, historically, your your employer will determine what kind of healthcare you might get, and the only thing you could focus on to mitigate perhaps cost is how far is your commute. Now, with remote work and most health insurance companies having coverage beyond one state, this leaves you free to buy a home pretty much anywhere you want if your work is remote. Now, why would you buy a home not near your family or where you are intimately familiar with? You might not want to. But I had a girlfriend who was a paraplegic and she has this wonderful devoted boyfriend who has a lot of hidden disabilities. Uh, they both opted to move away you know, move away from D.C. and move to Florida. They discovered that the medical care was better for her boyfriend and she could buy twice the house as compared to D.C. by simply moving to Florida. And when it came to modify the house, she found a lot of help from the independent living centers down in Florida as compared to her experience in the D.C. area. She actually called me one day uh, during the work week and she said she found that she found a lot of help from the independent centers. For example, she was also another example of just the culture being different in Florida. She had asked um, a guy to install a wheelchair lift for a pool because the house she bought had a pool, which we could all love to have. And that individual told her as he was installing the pool lift that he also fixes wheelchairs, electric wheelchairs. And she said within within one hour, she was able to get both her, her, her pool install, lift installed as well as the wheelchair fix. Pretty cool considering that the customer service experience in the D.C. area probably will made her ha- have multiple phone calls, you know, one to one company, one to another company to get both these things done. And she was just elated that it was such an easy process. So that's an example, as as we can see, that not all states are equal in their treatment and the customer service to the disability community. One of my biggest tips I have for future disabled homeowners is to prepare, to start preparing. So once you have a bank account and you're starting to save for your new home because you're making good money through your employment, you should use the time to keep your eye on a variety of assistive technology equipment you may need to modify your home. Traditionally, assistive technology equipment have been things like wheelchairs, talk-to-text softwares, and other things needed on a daily basis, primarily computer-focused. 
However, assistive technology equipment has found a home. Excuse the pun. Has found a home in, in smart technology and other home modifications. Things like the Amazon Alexa can help those who have visual impairments turn on TVs and even make a grocery list that can be read out loud. You can also find stair lifts and accessible kitchen items being advertised for sale in many disabled assistive technology Facebook groups. The benefit is that you can get these assistive technology equipment on the cheap because they are used, and you can even get you know some feedback from the previous owner who's also disabled. The potential danger is that certain things, like let's say a home elevator. May not be approved by your local county inspector because it is used. One of the disabled assistive technology Facebook groups has shared a story that I read that she drove all the way from the Midwest to Florida to pick up a free two-level used elevator from an owner who no longer needed it. She discovered that when she got back to install it into her house, her state she lived in. Stated that the model was too old to pass inspection, which was required for all elevators, whether it was for a residential home or a commercial building, that an inspection must happen after the installation. Now, don't let this dissuade you from buying assistive technology equipment. Just keep that in mind that the model year for some things may be a problem if you need an inspection done upon installation, and you need to look into that within your own county before you buy that particular model that particular year. I will on my website have a list of the most popular disabled assistive technology Facebook groups as a free handout for everyone. So please visit my website. So to quickly recap today's episode, hopefully you are now ready to read the entire Sense and Sensibility by PATF to better understand your finances from the perspective of being disabled. Now all my episodes transcripts are placed into a blog post, and I will have a direct link to the manual of Sense and Sensibility for everyone to download. I just ask that you share on your social media posts one takeaway you learned from today's episode and one takeaway you learned from reading the entire sensibility, and share that link so others may have the same information as you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Accessibility Is Home podcast. Now, before you leave, please write down my website at www.horizontalhouses.com. Horizontalhouses.com is your hub if you are a potential disabled home buyer. Or if you have a home yourself and you need to modify it, on horizontalhouses.com, it will provide you with my blog articles with the latest news information in real estate as well as accessibility. But more importantly than even my blog, which I think is fabulous, is a direct link to my book, My Blue Front Door. My Blue Front Door book is sold on Amazon, and it is the only book on Amazon exclusively written for the working class disabled home buyer. Yes, so if you are an individual that is working and you want to figure out how do you shop for a home, how do you work with your real estate agent, what kind of financial resources are out there that you might qualify despite having an income. Or what do you do? What you do have your home for modifying all of that on my blue front door book is sold on Amazon and it's for any individual that might meet those qualifications. 
Now, before you leave, please, please, if you are on social media and you like this episode, please like with me, whatever you may be. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So look for Accessibility is Home, and that is my account. All that information on social media, how to contact me, is on HorizontalHouses.com. And last but not least, if you are a real estate agent, a flipper, a contractor, a housing developer, or a nonprofit, or even a bank, all focused on housing and you have no idea how to incorporate the disability community, the largest minority in the United States, please give me a call. That information is also found on HorizontalHouses.com and I'll be more than happy to introduce you to consulting opportunities where I can tell you what type of houses are more easily accessible, what do you need to put, how do you market for accessibility, as well as if you're interested in having me on as for a speaking engagement. If you have a panel or anything like that, please remember to include disabilities in that conversation for housing, even if it's not me. So please reach out at www.horizontalhouses.com. And remember, by all means, accessibility is home.